Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Stanley Chi of the Christian Disciples Church in Toronto, Canada, shares a brief overview of how the doctrine of the Trinity developed in the first four centuries. Pulling on the work of Eric Chang, Bentley Chan, Hans Kung, and Richard Rubenstein, Chi explains four major factors that played a role in this process. One, the church's gradual separation from its Jewish monotheistic roots. Two, the subtle exaltation of Jesus towards deity. Three, worldly and political motivations, and four, the introduction of non-biblical words and concepts. In addition, Chi shares about his own group's transformation over the last 10 years as they have studied this material. He delivered this message at Living Hope International Ministries' annual 2017 Kingdom Fest, which you can also access online if you would like to watch the video version of this. Here is Podcast episode 113, Trinity History with Stan Chi. I'm serving in a church in Toronto. I'm pastoring there. And uh, so the history goes as I'm, I'm Chinese, uh, but I wasn't made in China like uh, a lot of things here. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're probably more Chinese than I am. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was born in Australia and uh, I grew up there. And uh, that's why you will probably hear a hint of an Australian accent. Yeah, but uh, when we came to Canada, a lot of people couldn't understand, especially if I said, oh, how are you today, mate? You know, and they said, what, you want me to die? No, 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 no. <laughs> how are you today, right? And so I had to tone down the accent a bit and, you know, kind of like merge into the North American accent, yeah. Today I'm going to be talking about three things. Yeah, I'm gonna split into three things. So the first thing will be a little bit about the history of our church. Yeah, hopefully with this um, introduction to the history of our church, it will launch into the history of the, the Trinity. So history lessons. So uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, basically three things. That's uh, our church, uh, Christian Disciples Church. Yeah, not uh, Center for Disease Canada. <laughs> I mean, when we tell people in Canada we're from CDC Church, they, they, say, they, they say like, yeah, this is what... Center for Disease? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> this is not. All right, so anyway, um, Christian Disciples uh, Church's transition from Trinitarianism to monotheism. Uh, so I'll be talking a little about, bit about that and then the history of the Trinity. Hopefully I'll condense it as much as possible. And I like to learn something practical. You know, I, I, you know all, all this theory, all these things, sometimes it's just so much theory, it may not live out in our lives. So we have to learn something practical from all these things. So... Um, like I said, we're from the uh, Christian Disciples Church, and uh, as you can see, um, we're kind of a little bit everywhere, okay? We're predominantly Asian. That's why you will see that a lot of our churches are in the um, Asian region, right? And uh, we call ourselves the Disciples Church um, to remind us uh, that we are disciples of Christ, okay? And so we try and follow uh, to the best of our knowledge and best to... Um, by God's grace, uh, the discipleship pattern that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. Yeah, so that's basically why we are called uh, Christian Disciples Church. And uh, basically, um, I think uh, a little bit more than 10 years ago, 
Christian Disciples Church was actually a Trinitarian church. All right, so you've got all these places around here who believed in the Trinity. All right. Uh, well, this particular church was founded by a pastor named Pastor Eric Cheng. And uh, he was, um, he claims himself, or he was, a Trinitarian of uh, Trinitarians. Okay? So when he taught uh, his students, all right, his disciples, uh, he would really teach the Trinity. So how did this transition uh, come about? Well, the transition really came about uh, when Pastor Eric Chang, um, he has a real heart. He had a real heart for the Muslim people. All right? And obviously, you know, you know, if you've read the Quran, I'm not sure if you have, but in it, it always talks about, you know, uh, desist from uh, believing in the Trinity. Okay, so that, that's where the contention, that is where a lot of the contention is. Right? They're always accusing the Christians for believing in the Trinity. Okay? So Pastor Chang was thinking, like, how do we get the gospel to these people by helping them understand this? All right? So when he was, and, and he was really, um, yeah, I think his heart was really burdened for these people. To a certain point, he even started learning Arabic. Okay? So there is this guy who's 70 plus years old. He's got the heart for the Muslim people. And to a point that he's learning Arabic. All right? And um, as you know, that you know, as you age, the less things you want to learn. All right? <laughs> I hope it's not the same for everyone here because I see like, wow, there's a lot of energy and especially like all these eyes gazing at like uh, Dr. Shane Height. Yes, I want to learn more. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, he, 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 he took on the task and then when he was going through a lot of the material, you know, he suddenly realized, hey, the Bible really does not talk about the Trinity. All right? I, he has all these years taken in good faith what has been passed down to him. And that's what he's been teaching. He's been defending it all this time. And suddenly he says, hey, this is not right. All right? And I remember, you know, um, there was this, during that transition, there was that time when I was still in Bible training and we went to one of these uh, uh, meetings or conferences. And then he was there teaching, you know, uh, the disciples who was teaching us. And uh, suddenly he made a, a statement. He said, Jesus is not God. Okay? And then to all the people who are sitting there, like, hmm, did I hear that correctly? Right? Maybe in his old age, um, he just <laughs> slipped off the tongue, right? Okay. So someone put up their hand and then they said, okay, um, did you, what you just say was uh, heresy? Okay. Um, in the Asian culture, we don't just boom things out, okay? It's very mild, you know? <laughs> Put up your hand, <laughs> you stand up, <laughs> and then you ask it very gently. <laughs> that was when he just uh, spent all that time, okay? From then on, he spent all that time teaching a lot of sessions to our churches about monotheism, okay? And, and we talk about monotheism simply because um, in John 17:3 it always talks about monotheos, right? So that's why we always talk about you know, biblical mono, uh, monotheism, and we are monotheists. Yeah, so that's a little bit of a background. And, you know, what I really admire about Pastor Eric Chang is that even in his uh, so-called old age, he was willing to change. I mean, this was a guy who taught something from his heart all these years. You know, and as you know, like, yeah, I mean, as you get older, the more stubborn you get, right? The harder it is to change. I mean, you look at, you know, your 
your eight-year-old kid, you know, he's still, you know, nice and innocent and all that. By the time he's 12 and 14, he becomes really stubborn, right? So times that by a few more, um, and then you'll see, like, how stubborn we can become, all right? But when someone is really empowered uh, by the Spirit of God, I think you will be able to see the humility in that person to be willing to be changed. And that is something that I have learned from him. Always to be humble before God. Yeah, that's, um, if he wants, he, if there is something that needs changing, it needs to be changed. All right, not, you know, not by your effort, by the, but by the grace of God. Yeah. So here, he made this change. All right. Now, of course, um, this change was, 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 uh, was a pretty dramatic change. It was almost like the Exodus. Okay, I mean, like, if you think about in Exodus, okay, um, you have all these people suddenly come out. Right? This whole group of people suddenly come out. It is not easy. It is only something that can be done by the grace of God. All right? And if so, if you imagine, you're looking at a lot of churches here. We had a mass exodus of people just changing their belief. And that's not an easy thing. But I really attribute this to because we were willing to follow Christ and the, the, the pattern of discipleship. And so we had forged these relationships and this trust with one another so that we will be open-minded to at least study the scripture before we made up our minds, all right? And because of that, boom, overnight, it was really going through. It was a wilderness period. We're kind of reaching the promised land, but you know, we're still kind of on that direction, all right? So I guess you know, going through this whole direction, it really begs the question to us. So you know, how did we become Trinitarians? All right. I mean, all these years, that's what we have been believing. That is what we, has been passed down. You know, I took it in good faith, and I was also told that you know, if you believed anything else, if you, believed that, if you did not believe that Jesus was both God and man, whatever that means now, but if you did not believe that, then you are a heretic. Okay? And of course, you know, that's, how, that's how we were taught. So how did we come into that position? Okay? So today, I just want to go through a few factors that may have contributed to how Trinity came to be. All right? So please bear with me. I'm not an expert. The experts are over there and uh, over there. All right? Um, they will fill in the gaps afterwards. All right? <laughs> so after all the disclaimer is gone, uh, we will go in to uh, yeah, the, the history of the Trinity. So I've drawn a few, uh, from a few resources, okay? This resource, uh, The Only True God, this was written by Pastor Eric Chang after his transition. Um, yeah, so um, Pastor Eric Chang, after coming to that transition, he really wanted to make things right before God. And he knew that this was a very important issue. So he quickly wrote this book, all right? I think it took him maybe a year, uh, a year to write this book. It, yeah, it took me longer to read than for him to actually write it. <laughs> it's a very thick book. Like right now it's in the 2D format. You can't really see how thick it is. And then uh, Pastor Eric Chang wrote a second one, but by this time his health was declining. I think uh, this, this whole transition really made, uh, had a toll on him, put a toll on him. And finally, actually, uh, before he finished this work, he passed away in 2013. But uh, he is a very good student. Um, Pastor Bentley Chan continued on with the work and he pieced all these notes together and he put it together in this uh, book, The Only Perfect Man. 
Yeah, and <laughs> sometimes I carry that in my car, and I'm kind of afraid, like, um, people think that uh, I need to be a better husband or something, because, <laughs> because I'm the only perfect man. Am I having, like, marriage problems or something? <laughs> I need to be reading this book. But, you know, I mean, yeah, this, this book is great because it teaches us, you know, the Lord Jesus wasn't just any man. He was man, but he was the only perfect man, all right, sinless and all, and all that. And I've also drawn from resources by uh, Hans Kung, Christianity. I find this guy very interesting because he's a Swiss Catholic priest. All right? He's a scholar, he's a professor, he's all that. Okay? He knows so much. And he's already written a really thick book as well. But in it, he says, There is no doctrine of one God in three persons, no doctrine of a triune God, a trinity. You know, this is written by a Catholic priest. I mean, someone I was talking to, he had a Roman Catholic background, right? So you know that how Trinitarian they can be. Okay, you've got all these figures and everything. But this guy, he's looked inside, you know, the scripture and he's come to the conclusion, there is nothing like this. So he writes a book about how things shifted. All right, so he calls these like paradigm shifts. And if you have the time, you want to take a look, this is a great book. All right. Um, except I don't know why the subtitle for this one says "The Religious Situation of Our Time." Mine says "Essence, Future, and yeah, some some other subtitle." But anyway, you can look this up. And I've also taken a look at this book, "When Jesus Became God." Okay, this was written by an atheist Jew. I learned from Sean. And uh, anyway, he wrote a really awesome book about the history of the Trinity. Okay, and of course, I'm going to draw from. The scripture, okay? That is what is fundamental, right? Scripture. Anyway, so what are the factors contributing to the rise of Trinitarianism? I've uh, kind of put it into four points, four factors, okay? I'm just going to, um, yeah, uh, give you the subtitles right now here. The first thing is a gradual disconnect of the church from its monotheistic Jewish roots, okay? and how the influence of Gentile beliefs, such as polytheism and triadic formulas and all that, kind of seeped into um, yeah, the scriptures, okay? or the understanding of the scriptures. All right? The second thing is there's a subtle exaltation uh, of Jesus towards deity you know, through the first, second, and third century. Okay? So, yeah, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about that. And then world and political motivations. Okay, that always plays a big role in how things become tradition. Okay? And then, uh, because of, um, you know, they have to make Trinity into a doctrine, they started to introduce unbiblical words, non-biblical words into understanding what this non-biblical concept of Trinity actually is. All right, so basically I'll be talking about these four points. Anyway, so about the disconnect of Jewish monotheistic roots. Now, obviously, if you were to ask, I think uh, Dr. John Chen, I put it very clearly, okay? If you were to ask any Jew, not just all the way then, but you know, any Orthodox Jew here, um, they're just gonna believe in the one God, right? If you tell them that there is any other, you know, um, they're, going, they're not gonna talk to you, okay? Um, that's, when they don't talk to you, you know that's serious. Okay, because, yeah. So, because like every day they would recite the Shema. All right, Shema Israel. They don't say Yahweh, they will say Adonai, Eloheinu, uh, Adonai, Elachad. 
All right. So they would recite this, and they'll you know, do the whole <laughs> moving, uh, the bowing action. Deuteronomy 6.4. So if you don't ask any Orthodox Jew, they will tell you, point blank, there is no other God. There is just this one God, right? And as you know, that, um, well, Christianity came from the Lord Jesus, who was Jewish. Right? And then he passed it on to his disciples. He taught his disciples who were Jewish. And then by Acts, um, the Apostle Paul and you know, uh, other disciples started to spread the gospel elsewhere, you know, to the Greek-speaking and Gentile world. And as you know, that the Gentile and the Greek-speaking world, they have their own religions. Right? They have you know, polytheist uh, beliefs. Okay? Polytheists are basically people who believe in many gods. You know, they will have like, wow, these magnificent gods just like that, okay? And I thought that this was just in the past. You know, their belief was just in the past. They don't believe in this. This is just mythology and so on and so forth. Until about five years ago when I was in Toronto during University Clubs Day, that's the ministry that we're involved, um, I was getting hungry. I went to a hot dog stand, okay? And then I started talking to the guy who was selling me hot dogs, and he, 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 he was Greek, all right? And then we started talking, he was asking what I was doing. I said, oh yeah, I'm telling students about God. I'm telling students about you know, Christ. And then uh, I asked him, oh, do you believe you know, in God? And then he said, well, I believe in many gods. Uh, I believe in Zeus, you know, I believe you know, in uh, an Apollos. And I thought he was joking. I said, you know, I started to go, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> and this guy point blank says to me, why are you laughing? <laughs> I said, oh, no. <laughs> you know, I thought this was just mythology. I didn't realize that, you know, it was really ingrained in their beliefs. So that was when I realized, wow, that's probably how a lot of these things, you know, start to seep, you know, um, you know, bringing culture, bringing their own culture into understanding scripture, all right? And you know what that happens when you input your own culture into scripture, you start to have all these ideas, different ideas that you merge together, all right? For example, you know, today a lot of, you know, Chinese people would think, you know, that the Bible was originally written in English because you give it to them, you tell it to them in English, and that's what they will think it is. Actually, Pam was talking to another Chinese guy just a few days ago, Wednesday, and Club's Day again. And um, this guy said to Pam, yeah, the original language of the Bible was Latin. All right, what? Okay. <laughs> wow, that, that's pretty amazing. I haven't heard of that one before, but okay. Um, but you know that, you know, when you start implementing all these things, things kind of change. I mean, there was a girl who was telling us uh, when it came to Easter, she had just joined us for service, and then she goes, oh yeah, it's time for turkey now. And I, uh, what? <laughs> no, 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 okay? So you, you kind of have all these things kind of like come in, and that's no good, you know? And, and then, you know, you bring the gospel into America, and, uh, and you bring the gospel into Hollywood, and then suddenly they make this Jesus look like a really good-looking white American dude. <laughs> and, <laughs> You look at him and go, wow, you know, all these Chinese people are looking, that's what Jesus looks like, you know? <laughs> Man of my dreams. <laughs> so, so all you have to, to, like, all these things start to seep in. It, it is inevitable. It is inevitable, okay? That's when you start to merge what you think and you put it into Scripture. And that's kind of like the things that kind of happened. Uh, Greek polytheism, okay? 
Now, the second thing uh, that happened in the first, second, third century, okay, uh, we're talking about even before the Trinity, Trinity came to be, all right, um, was the subtle exaltation of Jesus to deity. Now, if you were to read Romans chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, um, this is just one example, um, you will see that the Apostle Paul, um, he wrote in a way that was very clear. He says, like, um, who is the Lord Jesus? Well, he was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Okay, so it's very clear. He was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. And this is his description of the Son of God. Now, when you come to um, Ignatius, you're talking about like third generation already. Now, I'm not saying that he was promoting the Trinity or anything, but he made statements like, who was the Son of God? He was from eternity with the Father. Okay, so you got statements like that, that kind of um, pushes, you know, Christ towards deity. Well, this is how it was, it was kind of formed. And so by the third and fourth century, you have two groups of people now. You have those who were still in the monotheistic roots, those who understood what the scripture had said, all right, that Yahweh is God and Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he is man. Right? That's one group of people. They're the monotheists. And then you get the other group, you know, who says, oh, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he is also God. Okay, so that, that is their belief at that time. Okay, so you've got these two groups of people. And then, boom, comes 325 AD. Well, previous to this, 324 AD, this is when Emperor Constantine, okay, so, so even, yeah, my wife was asking me, how come he's a bit dark? Uh, I just pulled this up from Google. Um, I don't exactly know what it looks like, but anyway. <clears throat> Emperor Constantine comes into the scene, okay? So if you know from your history lessons, I can't say that he became a Christian, but he made Christianity an official religion, okay? He didn't get baptized until he almost died for reasons because he knew that he would be doing some unchristian things. <laughs> and, and so that's why he, he but you know, he, 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 he made himself pretty much you know, the guy in charge of Christianity, okay? He called the shots. Anyway, so at that time, because he wanted to unify the whole Roman Empire into this single belief, um, he thought, okay, we need a council, and they had the council in Nicaea, we have to have some kind of council that will bring these two groups, okay? The monotheists and actually the binatarians. They weren't even Trinitarians at that time. But binatarians mean that they believe that Jesus is God and the Yahweh is God, okay? We need to bring these people together and we need to you know, come to some kind of conclusion. Now, Constantine, although he wanted to join these people together, in actual fact, he was more in support, okay, uh, for Jesus is God. For simple reasons, um, one was uh, because he had a spiritual advisor, Hosius, um, who was binatarian. He believed that Jesus was God, okay? So you've got this guy whispering into your ear all these things that are to be. I mean, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings and that guy, I don't know, like a wormwood or someone who's whispering into that king's ears, you know? Anyway, so you've got this guy who's whispering and then so he goes, he's all pumped up. Yeah, 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 okay, this is the way to be. Now, the second reason was Jesus as God gives a much stronger image, 
you have to understand that they were in a pagan world. And you've got all these gods, you know, all these men who were kind of gods as well. All right? And all these years they've been following all these pagan gods. Now all of a sudden you say, we want to follow Jesus Christ who is a man? Ah, oh, come on, that's a little bit too weak. All right? So they want to raise him up. They want to say, so Constantine was more towards Jesus as being God. We need someone stronger. Okay? All these years the Roman Empire has been declining. We need someone stronger you know, to push us and move us forward. Right? So this was a lot of political motivation in this. But he still had to kind of come to a compromise, help these two people come to a compromise. So what did he do? Oh, this guy was a very smart man. He was, he was uh, not an emperor for, for no reason, right? <clears throat> so um, he came up, he didn't come up with this word, but he suggested a compromise. And he said, okay, he introduced this word, homoousios. So homoousios, it means consubstantiality. All right? It means like of the same substance. All right? He was telling both sides, look, you guys are all right. Okay? They're just the you know, same substance. Okay? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they're of the same substance. So that's why Jesus is God. Okay? So um, the Binatarian said, oh, cool. Yes, that's awesome. Um, because that is basically saying that Jesus is God, and um, they were very sure all right, that the Unitarians um, are not going to fall for this. Okay? They, go, they, they were thinking, okay, Unitarians are not going to accept this, and then when they do not accept this, they are going to offend Emperor Constantine, all right, because this was his suggestion. And then once they offend him, well, he's going to be very upset and call them troublemakers and then exile them from the church. All right? But to the disappointment of the Binatarians, you know, Eusebius of Caesarea at that time, who was the, you know, the, the chief of the Unitarians, he said, oh, okay, we accept that. All right. Well, why did he accept that? Well, he kind of played around a bit because do you remember how in, uh, let's go to, in John 10, verse 34 to 35, okay, it says, you know, the Lord Jesus was being challenged at that time. He was being accused of making himself as God. All right? And then we actually saw this verse last night. And then so he quoted to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods? Okay, so he's pointing at the religious leader. Aren't you gods? Well, his meaning is that, well, these people have, should have the characteristic of God. All right? You know, they are the image of God. They are supposed to represent God. Okay? So he kind of, uh, you know, took it in this way. The Unitarians kind of took it in this way and said, okay, you know, yeah, we'll take a step back and we will say that, yeah, we are um, uh, agreeing with you, agreeing with the Emperor Constantine, okay? So in other words, you know, you've got two polarized views, um, but somehow um, they kind of have a compromise. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of a story about um, of this uh, Jewish rabbi. I think um, there was this, two guys were having an argument, and then one guy, he goes up to the Jewish rabbi, and he tells you know, his side of the story, and then the Jewish rabbi says, yes, you are right. right? And then the second guy, you know, he's really angry. What do you mean he's right? He goes up to the Jewish rabbi, and then he says to the Jewish rabbi his, his side of the story, and the Jewish rabbi says, oh, you are right too. Right? And then the wife of the first guy gets really upset. How can two people be right? All right? So she goes up to the Jewish rabbi 
and says to, says to him, how can those two be right? And you know what the rabbi says? You also are right. <laughs> right? So you've got a situation where everyone's kind of right, okay, but polarized views. Okay? So needless to say, this didn't really work out very, very well. Okay? So anyway, by 381 AD, because of a lot of these factors, you know, pumping up this whole situation about the Trinity, by 381 AD, the Trinity came to be doctrine. All right? So uh, somehow, for some reason, even the third well, person of the Godhead was added into the Trinity. All right? So now you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, in order to explain to people exactly how can there be you know, three gods, you can't really do that as Christians. All right? If you ever ask a Trinit Trinitarian, okay, so if Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, then how many gods are there? They will never say three, okay? Because it's taboo to say three gods. So in order to do that, in order to fit in their um, Trinitarian doctrine, some guys came up with three hypostasis, all right? Three persons, all right? That's the only way you can explain all this, all right? Three persons in the substance of God, all right? That's what happened in 381 AD, okay? That you have to believe in this. And then so anyway, uh, what is the reason, you know, for binatarian suddenly becoming Trinitarianism? Okay, I think that's something that's kind of in our minds, right? Because you have belief in all that. Well, something that you also have to understand is that in Gentile mysticism, even in today, you know, when I looked it up, there is something magical surrounding the number three. All right? There's always some kind of mysticism that surrounds this three. Some people think that it's, it makes things complete. Now, in those days, in the old times, um, you get philosophers like um, Pythagoras. Okay? Everyone knows Pythagoras' theorem. Okay? He was the one who, you know, who came up, uh, who, who made life uh, really terrible <laughs> for a lot of people who don't like geometry and all that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but you know, that's, we need this because that's how bridges are built. Okay? <laughs> anyway, so Pythagoras was a guy who believed in the power of three. Okay? And you can see like, you know, the two squares, you add them together, it becomes like the square of the hypotenuse. I'm not going to go into that. You know, you can ask your teachers about that. <laughs> but you've got this whole idea surrounding this three. So you've got people always looking for some kind of triadic formula in everything. Right? And then so when it came to that, they also put in their idea into scripture. What kind of triadic formula can I find inside scripture? Well, I think the one that really pops up into their head is the baptismal statement. When you baptize, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Suddenly, a baptismal statement became some kind of statement for a composition of who God was. That's the terrible thing when you read your own thoughts, your own beliefs into Scripture instead of reading scripture and taking out and putting into your life. So that is the tragedy, you can say, of the Trinity. So by 392 AD, 
because Trinity was made into a doctrine, and the emperor at that time wanted to unify everything, he said that, yeah, please, uh, everyone believe in the Trinity, and those, those who don't believe in the Trinity will be punished accordingly. Okay? And they will be labeled heretics. And if you think about it, who wants to be labeled a heretic? No one wants to be labeled a heretic. All right? I mean, no one wants to be executed or punished. So that's how the Unitarians kind of lost their ground and Trinity came up on the rise. And it's become tradition ever since. So a lot of people don't really know this, um, and it's kind of heavy material you know, when you tell people about this. And then obviously when you talk to people about you know, Jesus as man, they will feel you know, very offended. Right? But like I said, God looks at man as something very, very precious. All right? We look at man as you are dirt. All right? Think about the people you know, that kind of annoy you. You are, oh, I don't want to kill you, right? <laughs> All right? We look at man like that. God does not look at man like that. God used man. You know, God used this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and save us so that we can be reconciled with God. That is the thing that we have to understand. All right? We have to change the way we look at each other all right? in order for us to see what God sees in each one of us. All right? So what can we learn here? Something practical. Okay? Um, well, I told you about the transition that we made. Right? Um, so after making that transition from Trinitarianism to monotheism, um, there are certain Bible verses inside the Bible that really spoke to me like it never did before. Okay? And I just want to share with you in my closing uh, moments. So this is just the summary of what we were talking about just then. I want to share with you this last verse. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Now when Pastor Eric uh, was still a Trinitarian, he once said, Actually, all those scripture inside Bible, there's really no ground and no support for Trinitarianism. Okay? If you were to choose one particular verse, this would be it. All right? That would really knock everything out and say that Jesus is God. All right? So from a Trinitarian point of view, I'm not going to go into how this, is, yeah, how this is not Trinitarian, but I want to tell you, now that I have monotheistic eyes to look at this, it's completely different. With Trinitarian eyes, when you look at this, Thomas says to the Lord Jesus, my Lord, my God. Okay, what do we get from this? Well, we get that, okay, Jesus is Lord, worship him because he is God. Something that really touched me when Pastor Eric was teaching me this. He was saying, this is, yeah, this verse is awesome because this particular verse is showing forth the transparency of Christ. When Thomas saw, finally, the disciples saw the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, you remember uh, there was a time, like uh, uh, in John uh, 14 or 15, 16, one of the last discourses of Jesus Christ, um, they were asking the Lord Jesus, where is the Father? Show us the Father, right? Okay? And the Lord Jesus was saying, what do you mean show you the Father? You look at me, you can see the Father, right? <laughs> but at that time, they couldn't really see it. It was only until the Lord Jesus was resurrected. Okay? And that was a time when they can finally see, you know, when they look at the Lord Jesus, they could see the Father. All right? And that really spoke to me. Why? Because as disciples of Christ, what do people see when they look at you? All right? That is something really changing. When people see you, do they see God? Do they see Yahweh God? Or do they just see you? All right? Or do they see another God? 
It's very interesting. You know, we may get our um, theology right. We might get our theology right. Yes, we believe in the only true God. But actually in our lives, there could be a lot of other gods that are occupying our lives. And people can see that. When they look at you, do they see, oh, the God of the world? Do they see the God of worries? The God of self? What do they see when they see you? And this really spoke to me. As disciples of Christ, by God's grace, I hope that each one of us can really ask God to help us, to transform us, so that when people see each one of us, they can see God. So with that, I'm going to close for today. All the glory be unto God. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to get more information about Stanley Chi and in particular visit the college outreach he does at the University of Toronto, you can go to christiandiscipleschurch.org and click on the menu Where We Meet and then Canada. And he has his information towards the bottom of that page. Also, if you would like to check out any of the resources he referenced in this podcast, stop on over restitudio.org where I have four links to the various books that he referenced, including The Only True God, The Only Perfect Man, Christianity, Essence, History, and Future, and When Jesus Became God by a number of different authors there. Last of all, I wanted to mention that I am coordinating a marriage conference coming up pretty soon in November. It's going from the 3rd to the 5th of November here in the Albany, New York area. And if you're married or engaged and would like to come, I'd love to have you. Uh, The cost for the event is $70 per person. That includes lunch and a dinner out Saturday night. We're going to a nice local place with a pretty fancy dinner, and we're going to have some fun entertainment there. And then lodging is on your own. We've got a number of hotels in the area that have some decent rates. You can check those out online. Just look in the Albany, New York area, or to be more specific, the church is in Latham. So if you're married and you, you, would, you would like to come to a marriage conference, the theme is Growing Together. It's going to be an awesome time. If you'd like more information about that, just go to lhim.org. That's Living Hope International Ministries website, lhim.org. And you can click on ministry events to get more information about the marriage conference. Hope to see you there. Well, that's it for this week. Tune in next week or catch up on past episodes by subscribing to us either in your phone or tablet or online through email at restitudio.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.